Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. Another Thursday evening, where we are set to explore another special topic. Uh, and for this evening, given the recent decision of Pope Francis to approve a change in the translation of the Our Father in Italian from lead us not into temptation to do not let us fall into temptation, there has been, as you can well imagine, a lot of questions in my inbox. So I thought it would be good, a good time to take stock into what we intend to mean when we talk about temptation and ultimately what the text from the mouth of Jesus actually says, <laughs> right? Now, I want to be clear, as of June 13th, 2019, today, this is not a translation matter for the English-speaking world, but the Italian world. So if you are listening to this in the States as of today, that this is going to change in the near future, as of today, and I want to be clear on this, that is simply incorrect. Okay, so off the top, in any conversation about temptation, I personally like to go to the temptation narrative. Uh, because if we're going to understand temptation, I think that is a good place to start. So in the temptation narrative, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, Jesus calls Satan what? But the tempter. Just a bit of a backdrop to this word, I think, is important for us. To show the essence of a person, both the Greek and the Hebrew often use what is called, a, in English terms, a verbal participle to construct a noun with a definitive article. Now, the result is that the attribute is applied absolutely to the person in question. Thus, uh, as a Catholic in the liturgy, for example, the phrase is used to describe God as the one having mercy, and Our Lady's personal title as the one who has been fully graced. We also have the sacred name of God as the one who is being. Okay, what does all of this have to do with the temptation narrative? Well, the passage in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, is the one who is tempting, or the one who is placing obstacles in God's path. You see, my friends, essentially, the absolute nature of the tempter is what but to disrupt the flow of love from God to man by permanently diverting and confusing. In the case of the petition, of, uh, but deliver us from evil. You have more of this definitive language being used as the petition best translates as deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the one who seeks to divert. Deliver us from the one who seeks to confuse. Lie. The one whose function is to disrupt the flow of, of love from God to man and man back to God. So off the top, I think it is imperative that we understand the singular purpose of Satan is one that is definitive by its very nature, the one who, right? 
that is that verbal participle to construct a noun with a definitive article. Okay, to further get underneath temptation, I now want to turn our attention to the Garden of Eden and the exchange between the serpent and Adam and Eve. So let us turn our Bibles, if you have them out, to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you should not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now, before we engage this text, let us remember what we have said about what is necessary for the existence of love. Human love does not exist unless it is free, right? Love itself never comes from without, but always comes from within. We get this because you can never force someone to love you. The real glory of love is the choosing of the good. The moment I say yes to the willing of the good of the other for the sake of other. And when I do this, there is a negation of wrongdoing, right? Simply put, my friends, freedom implies choice and choice implies alternatives. Our first parents were given a choice, one that was necessary because of love itself. All right, so that being said, what was the temptation? The evil behind that opening question in the garden, did God say that you shall not eat of the fruit of any tree in the garden? Uh, In that question, what is Satan subtly suggesting here? That God... (laughs) That God cannot be good if he does not let you do whatever you please? You see, my friends, in Satan's economy of plagiarized love, there is a complete absence of law and restraint. He says to us, do not regard the the boundary lines, the laws, the rubrics. Those limit you. But do they? I have often given the example of my son learning to play the piano. And I have posed the question, when my son was five years old and he was first learning to to play the piano, is he free to play the piano? I mean, I'm not stopping him from going over to the piano or keyboard and striking the keys. Is he free to play the piano as a five-year-old as he strikes the keys? On one hand, yes, maybe. But think more critically. Think uh, deeply. And the answer to that question would be no. He's only free to play the piano to the extent that he abides in the laws and the the rubric and how to play the piano. You fast forward uh, eight, nine years, and let me tell you something, my friends. My oldest son is free to play the piano as he now knows how to read music. 
right? When we choose against law, what do you have? Chaos, noise, clutter, disruption. (laughs) My five-year-old is trying to play the piano, striking the keys. What you have is disruption and noise, right? So what am I getting at? Well, my friends, in the case of my oldest son learning how to play the piano, only until he learns the template, the rubrics, the inherent laws of how to play the piano will he be free to play the piano. And what's more, part of learning to play the piano is to have a sense of discipline, right? You must restrain yourself of one thing to say yes to another thing. My oldest son can read music and is a gifted musician because he regarded law and restraint as what was essential to playing the piano. For us to love well, we ought to enter, we have to enter into the dynamism of saying no to one thing. Mindful that saying no is going to involve a real sense of discipline, a real sense of restraint. This restraint will eventually free us to be the person we are called to be and to love as we are called to love. Okay? So that is just a response to Satan's plagiarized love. Now the the temptation continues when Eve responds that it was God's command that they not eat of the forbidden fruit. For if they did, they would surely die. Satan ridicules this command, right? You will not die. Satan here is doing what? Well, he's the father of all lies. He's lying. It's as if Satan was saying to Eve there, how do you know that you will die a death? He is keeping something from you. He doesn't want you to know what it's like to be God. The temptation, the enticement, the enchanting enticement continues in verse 5. You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And Eve, rather than enjoying all of the glorious things to be permitted, focused on the one thing that was forbidden, succumbing to the temptation, eating from the imagined sweetness of the forbidden fruit. And isn't that sin, my friends? That imagined sweetness of what we might experience? in our drunkenness, in our addiction, and yet post-drunkenness, post-addiction, we are miserable. Miserable. No one is going to deny that. Mm. Only God can satisfy that longing. But Satan here dupes Eve. (laughs) As he dupes us when we give in to that enticing enchantment. Now, as we reflect into the fall in the Garden of Eden, um, as the church has for 2,000 years, out from this, we really have come to define temptation. You know, where are we going with all this, Joe, from from that petition, lead us not into temptation? Well, here you have it. Out from this, we define temptation itself as an attraction to act contrary to right reason and ultimately the commandments of God. And so, What are we to do in the face of temptation? Well, as the Catechism reminds us, we are engaged in a battle between spirit and flesh. And this petition implores the spirit of discernment and strength, one that always assumes 
that we are walking in the Spirit with God, in the Spirit of God with a vigilant heart. My dear friends, what lies at the heart of any good discernment? But prayer and study, a study of sacred Scripture by which we come to distinguish right from wrong and, and ultimately prudently walk with God. What is prudence? Prudence is, as a, as a cardinal virtue, is the pronouncement of our formed conscience and at once how we are made acutely aware of, of what lies on the other side of our decision. Um, this is what the word itself means. Prudence comes from the Latin prudencia, which best translates as sagacity or sagaciousness. To be sagacious is to be acutely aware. Huh? So what we are talking about here is the idea of um, being acutely aware of how the decision I'm about to make is going to impact the next moment. Right? To be prudent is to see how your next decision is going to impact the next decision. All right. Now, uh, as Origen, one of the great church fathers, remarks, and again, as highlighted by the Catechism, temptation does have a certain usefulness, right? Not that it comes from God, and this is really a, a large part of the discussion with respect to the translation. So, again, temptation has a certain usefulness. Not that it comes from God, but, but how God uses all things at his disposal to bring us closer to him. Could we not say that in and through our temptations we discover our weaknesses and, and learn to boast of those weaknesses? Isn't this what Paul says? as we discover that life itself is only sufficient in his grace, was not Jesus himself led by the Spirit into the desert to be what? But tempted? Why? Well, it is part of the providence of God that, that his Son and all who are members of Jesus' body experience temptations and trials of, of various sorts. God leads us forth in life to experience and, and overcome these things. By his grace. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, once again, as we look to get a handle on what it means to be tempted, the Greek ought to help us here. The Greek word for temptation or tempted is perasmos. Perasmos. Perasmos can be translated as tempted, being tested, or, and I especially like this last translation, a trial to prove one's love. My dear friends, life is filled with many tests. Huh? Certainly we can say that by, by them we learn to master the challenges and vicissitudes of life. But what really lies underneath this term is the idea that by virtue of the challenge we face, we prove, or maybe better said, reveal our love of and for God. The irony here, I think, is that to fail to accept and embrace the challenge before us in the here and now is to potentially fall into a greater temptation later. This is why we must embrace the challenges before us. Challenges are opportunities. Remember, challenge comes from the Latin provocatio, which means to call forth, to call out. Challenges are opportunities. When we embrace a challenge, the best version of who you are, the best version of who I am, is drawn out. Okay? Now, as it relates to being tested, now here we're drawing from 
Monsignor Pope. You've heard me draw from him recently. He's just an insightful contemporary scholar. You know, he's reflecting into this, and I think he makes a very important point that good fathers and mothers routinely expose their children to challenges, even moderate dangers, so that they can what, my friends, but grow and learn to live in a world filled with temptations and ultimately tests. You see, my friends, as a father, there comes a day when you take the training wheels off the bike. And yeah, maybe (laughs) there is danger that lies ahead in the form of injury. Ultimately, you do this that your child will overcome, at least I do, that your child will overcome that, those fears and ultimately be able to ride his bike. Good fathers do this sort of thing. They are near at hand to assist, but they do not draw back from leading their children into such challenges, tests, into a tempting world. You see, fatherhood is not some doting protectiveness, as Monsignor Pope put it. It includes at times, subjecting children to trials and tests. This is what good fathers do. Yes, God does not directly tempt us to sin. This is a point that I think we do need to reinforce. James chapter 1, verses 12 to 14 says that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God, James says, tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So while God does not directly tempt us to sin, he does lead us forth into life and into a world that has temptations. And as James says, when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. God sends us forth with his graces, my friends, but will not cancel our lives in order to preserve us from all temptation, trials, difficulties. Rather, through Jesus, what does he say? In John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What does Jesus pray to his father in chapter 17 of John, verse 15? I do not ask that you you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There again is that phrase, the evil one, right? So indeed, my friends, this world, wicked and tempting though it is, is the drama, the theater of our redemption, and in it we are tested and ultimately perfected by God's grace. God protects us with his grace that offers us the power to overcome, though not avoid all trials. This is very much what is behind that petition, lead us not into temptation. So yeah, God leads us into temptation, into tests and trials, as the Greek would translate, for our own good. He does not himself tempt us but he permits some degree of it, assisted by his graces, in order that we grow and our virtues develop. That's the essence of what we need to understand this evening. In asking that he not lead us into temptation, we are asking that he not lead us there without sufficient graces. Okay, that being said, 
what about this business of the translation? In my humble opinion, there is nothing to better translate in the English. It's just that simple. Why? Because to do so will only bring alarm to an unnecessary change. You have heard me time and time again say that, you know, sometimes English does not have the flexing power to translate the Greek. In this case, the best rendering of the Greek is quite simply, lead us not into temptation or do not bring us into temptation. We should just probably leave it alone. And when I say the English does not have the flexing power, what I mean by that is in some cases, the English rendering of of a Greek text doesn't grab hold of the robustness of a particular word or verse. There's multiple examples of this. Uh, Let's see here. One that comes to mind is from the narrative of the Magi. When they see the sign, the English renders the Greek, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, that's a pretty exciting verse. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It almost seems repetitive. And it does because in the Greek, it is, what, an 11-syllable word? You know, the Greek is often very economical. One, two, maybe three syllables. To get an 11-syllable word is to get a word a Greek that is very robust. Uh, And in English, we translate that Greek as they rejoiced excitingly with great joy. It tries to grab hold of this very dynamic, life-giving, effusive excitement. And quite honestly, I just don't know if it does because there's really nothing in the English that translates that Greek. That's what I mean. We just don't have that flexing power if you will. So in the end, the biblical text is teaching us something important, namely that as it relates to temptation, we accept that God must often lead us through certain difficulties. And thus we ask that he lead us there with the grace sufficient to endure and grow thereby. Amen. Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the gift to be able to reflect into the richness of your word and this all-important petition that you give us in this sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. We ask for the grace that, uh, yeah, you would not abandon us, that you were always with us, with us as tests and trials and all of those difficult circumstances come our way, that we don't make any unnecessary tests and trials that make the already existing tests and trials um, that much more difficult. We pray all these things in in your most holy and precious name. Amen. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.